Welcome, I'm Lisa Connell, Executive Director of Sherm's Executive Network, HR People and Strategy, the premier network of executives and thought leaders in the field of human resources. We advance the HR profession by engaging thought leaders and executive practitioners to create solutions and drive success for people and organizations. I'm excited to sit down today with Rob Chestnut. Rob is a senior advisor at Airbnb, which is a role he transitioned to after serving four years as the chief ethics officer and general counsel at Airbnb. He has just released a book called Intentional Integrity, How Smart Companies Can Lead an Ethical Revolution. And he'll be sharing some of the insights at Visionary's virtual event in October. Rob, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Absolutely. So in the last six months or so, business leaders have had to make some really tough decisions, whether it be from layoffs to remote work to issues around social justice. What can HR leaders do right now to help foster and manage a culture of integrity at work? Well, you're, you're right, Lisa. The world has really changed in the last six months. You know, and I think this, it actually goes back even further than that. It, what we've seen is that the world is increasingly connected. You know, I think the internet was just like the first part of this. We're all getting closer together. The pandemic, uh, racial justice, climate change, all of these things mean that we can't stay in our own lanes anymore. And, and companies can't continue just to be thinking about hitting a quarterly profit number. What companies have got to do is they've got to operate now, not only profitably, but they've got to operate with integrity. This is something that uh, the world is pushing on them. The, the, the world wants companies to step up and solve some of the world's biggest problems. You know, we're seeing uh, people speaking up. We're seeing customers speak up. Customers, we're in an age of conscious consumerism where if customers don't like the values of the company that they've been doing business with, they take their money and move it. And, you know, it's not just uh, consumers either, it's employees. I, I find that employees today want to be proud of the place where they go to work. They want more than a paycheck. They want to feel like they are playing a role in changing the world and doing something positive. And if they don't like what they see from their employer, you know, in the past, they might remain silent. But what we're seeing now is they're talking to each other. They're on Slack. They're on blind. They are communicating their views publicly. You know, you look at Susan Fowler and her her blog post single-handedly changed the course of what was happening at Uber. That was just one voice. But the world now gives employees this platform to speak up and, and change. And if they don't like what's going on at a company and they speak up, they'll even organize and walk out. So I think it's really important that companies – uh, look carefully and consider driving integrity into their culture as part of an intentional strategy. So everyone thinks they have integrity, and yet we continue to see organizations like you just mentioned come under fire for failing to live up to their values. You write about intentional integrity, and you just mentioned it. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how it can help us get out of this integrity crisis? Sure. Isn't it ironic? We all think we've got integrity. Right, right. But, but, you know, you uh, every time I turn on the internet, there's another story every day about bad behavior by a CEO, uh, employees walking out, conflicts of interest, financial fraud. So, you know, 
what's the best defense? Traditionally, what have we seen? We've seen companies, uh, well, they start with their code of ethics, but the code of ethics frequently is something that they go online, they copy somebody else's code of ethics, and then you put your name on the top, and then you email it out to everybody, and you say, check a box, and say you've read this. And then, boy, thank goodness we've dealt with that. Everybody knows that isn't uh, touching your employees. So what we need to be doing is we need to be engaging in an open, honest, direct authentic conversation with employees about this. And look, there are several ways that, that you can do this. I'll, you know, I'll give you an example. At Airbnb, we start with an orientation talk that is about an hour long. And it's about our purpose as a company and ethical challenges that you are likely to face while you're an employee. And we talk about how we want people to handle them and why it's so important, why integrity is so important to us as a company. And, you know, it, it, it's incredible how a conversation like that, if it's conducted by a leader, can make. I was walking down the street last week, Lisa, uh, with my mask on. A woman who is eating at a restaurant stops me while I'm walking and says, you're Rob Chestnut, right? And I said, yeah. She said, you don't know me. She said, but I was an employee at Airbnb. And she said, I still remember the talk that you gave at orientation two and a half years ago. She said, I thought about it again. She said, because I, I left Airbnb and went to another company and I went through their orientation. She said, not a word about integrity. She said, you know, it really makes an impression when a leader stands up right at the beginning and talks about integrity being an important part of the culture and even gives specific scenarios about things that'll happen. And that changes the entire tone of the atmosphere at a company. I like the approach of bringing the potential ethical challenges to the forefront so people um, really can resonate with what you're talking about. Yeah, we don't talk about the law. You won't hear anybody talking about creating a hostile work environment, for example. What we talk about is dating. Can you date another employee? You know, and we actually have some very frank, direct talk with employees about it. I, I tell the story of at Airbnb, I walked into the executive team meeting when we were working on the code of ethics, and I proposed to everybody on the executive team. You know, these are the 12, the founders, the, the 12 people that run the company. And I said, look, too many problems are occurring all around the country with executives getting into relationships with employees and things go bad. I propose we just make a pledge to each other that we will not engage in any romantic relationship of any kind with any employee or contractor, not even quote unquote consensual, because it's really hard to have a consensual relationship in that kind of an employment environment when there's a very senior person and a much more junior person. And when I proposed this, there was silence for a minute. One person said, oh, Rob, we're all in romantic relationships. We're all in marriages or serious relationships anyway. And I looked at him and said, well, yeah, but based on what I'm reading online, that doesn't stop people. And everybody laughed. And then we went around the room and each person looked around and said, I'm in. Now that enabled us to put in the code of ethics that our executive team will not engage in any romantic relationship, won't even propose it, not even consensual. And if they do, it's the senior person that's held accountable for purposes of discipline. So when I tell this story at orientation, 
it actually has quite an impact. I had a woman come up to me after one of the orientation talks. She literally had tears coming down her cheek. And I said, oh no, what did I say? What did I do wrong, right? And she said, Rob, I was just came from another company, big tech company in the Valley. She said, and my boss there, my manager kept propositioning me. And she said he wouldn't stop. And she said, I didn't trust my company to do anything about it. She said, so I had to leave. And she said, Rob, this is my first day at my new company. She said, you have no idea what it means to me to have a leader standing up in front of the room and talking about the importance of respecting others in the workplace and having leaders not engage in these sort, this sort of behavior. She said, she, you have no idea what it means to me starting and working at a place like this. I've never heard conversation like this. Thank you. Wow. Considering her situation, I'm sure it meant the world. That's amazing. So what would you say is at stake if organizations don't directly and explicitly address integrity? Well, that's the old way. I call that the 20th century approach to companies where leaders are uncomfortable talking about uncomfortable topics. And when a leader's uncomfortable talking about an uncomfortable topic, what do they do? Well, they push it to HR and legal and it becomes compliance, right? It becomes the, uh, the compliance poster in the break room with that tiny little four-point font that nobody reads. And it's the code of ethics she stole from some other company that sits in the corporate intranet. Silence and ambiguity are enemies of integrity. When you've got an environment like that where no one really talks about it, it actually leaves each employee free to interpret for themselves what they think is integrity. And science teaches us that we all think we have integrity and we all look at the world, however, through our own eyes and through what's good for us. So if we come up with a situation where might be on the edge ethically, people can talk themselves into doing something that, you know, a, a lot of neutral observers might say is wrong. And this sort of fudging where people look at a situation, they actually end up having more trouble in very creative work environments. Believe it or not, the more creative the work environment, the more highly intelligent people that work at a company, the more these people are actually able to come up with creative reasons why what they're about to do is okay. So if you work in that kind of an environment, you've got a special danger. In silence and in ambiguity, people are reacting for themselves and coming up with their own rules. And that's why it's really important to have this explicit conversation. If you don't do it, what can happen is you can end up with a brand defining moment where someone does something wrong and it doesn't stay silent. These sorts of things these days, Lisa, they're being posted on the internet. And all of a sudden, things happen very quickly. Your company's all over the news and your brand's been wrecked. I'll also say, by the way, that there's positive. I look at this as a double-edged sword. So companies that don't have integrity really put their brand at risk every day. However, if a company adopts the path of intentional integrity, where they make it a, a point to make it part of their culture, this really resonates with employees. You have the pride. You have employees actually staying longer and recruiting their friends. Customers love this as well. Customers love doing business with a company that they think has values that are similar to their own. So I, I think of integrity as a superpower. If you can tap into it, it can actually drive your business to a better place. Right. Yeah, I, I really like that silence and ambiguity are enemies of integrity. That really makes sense and that could take things a long way. So... 
so we've touched on it. We've seen the impact of social justice issues like Me Too and Black Lives Matter and organizations who are not seen as walking the talk. Can you talk about some other examples of ethical blind spots that organizations should be paying attention to? Well, you know, Airbnb, we had a painful lesson in that regard. You know, four years ago when I joined the company, I had been the general counsel for a couple of months, and suddenly there were a number of posts on the internet about black users who were having trouble getting accepted for a room on Airbnb. There was even a hashtag, Airbnb while black. And the claims multiplied. One user saw it and shared their experience, and soon we even had lawsuits. So... Uh, you know, I went in to see the CEO, you know, our founder, to talk about this. And, you know, the reaction to this inside of Airbnb was shock. Airbnb is a very idealistic company. I think you know, Airbnb believes that through immersive travel, through getting people together when they travel with, with locals, we can actually make the world a better place. You know, to create a sense of belonging among human beings who may be different. So this was quite surprising to everybody in the company that this was going on on the website. And when you think about it, Lisa, it shouldn't be surprising, right? Because discrimination exists everywhere in the world. So why was everybody so surprised at Airbnb? Well, I thought about it, and then I looked around the leadership room. We were not very diverse. We didn't have any black leaders at the company at that time. And so none of us in the room had actually ever experienced discrimination before. So what struck me was that diversity and inclusion are really superpowers because we all see the world through our own eyes and through our own experiences. Someone who is different actually brings things to the table that leaders need to hear. So, you know, instead of being shocked by this, I think if Airbnb had been more diverse four or five years ago, this might have been something that the company could have anticipated and avoided a lot of painful experiences for its users. Instead, we went on a journey. You know, it was funny when I went in to talk to the CEO and I started talking to him about the law around Airbnb's legal responsibility in these circumstances. He held up his hand to me and said, I don't care. I don't care about the law. We are failing as a company if this sort of thing's happening on our platform or we're going to fix it, which actually made the people inside the company, I think, really proud. And we, we rallied around it and made a number of changes to the site. But uh, it, it was a good example for us about how diversity can really help you avoid problem spots inside of a company because of the power of diverse perspectives it brings. So we've seen many examples of corporate missteps with ethics. Do you think it's possible for companies to move beyond their past transgressions? Well, they have to. Look, no one's perfect. Uh, integrity, having integrity doesn't mean you're perfect because none of us are perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. What's critical is when you make a mistake, how do you respond to it? What's your reaction to it, right? Um, you know, what I see so often is a company will, they'll bring in a consultant. We'll bring in a consultant. They'll, they'll uh, talk with everybody. But you can't outsource integrity. What you need to do in those sorts of circumstances is a leader has to own it. You need the CEO of a company to stand up to everybody and say, we screwed up. We made a mistake. We got off course. You know, here's what we're about as a company. And here's why this is inconsistent with our values. I'm embarrassed, but this isn't the way it has to be going forward. We're going to make a change. And here's specifically what we're going to do. And I want everybody in the company to rally around this, support it. If you see that we're 
still off track, I want you to raise your hand and let us know. So I think by having the self-awareness to recognize that you got off course and to be able to talk in a very human specific way about what you're going to do to get back on course. And then of course, you've got to actually walk the talk. That's how you can come back from a problem. And that comes back to building trust. I'm wondering if you can share some recent instances of companies successfully building trust amid disruption. Well, if you want to build trust with your employees, it actually helps to do a couple of things that might be a little bit different, uh, that might surprise people. So for example, Microsoft's been a real leader in this regard. Uh, When the pandemic hit, uh, Microsoft was really one of the first companies to listen to employees and ask what they need, and then not be afraid to, to go and give it to them. So one of the things they heard was that employees were worried about how they were going to respond if their kids were staying at home. What were they going to do in the workplace? So Microsoft announced that all employees would get 12 weeks of additional leave in the coming year in order to deal with being able to handle issues around childcare and dealing with, with school. I think that kind of forward thinking, not being afraid to step out and do something different can be really powerful. Airbnb did something like this, even though it, it came out of sadness. You know, the Airbnb's business was severely disrupted by the pandemic and they needed to do a number of layoffs. So Airbnb did its best, I think, to be generous with the employees it had to, to lay off, not only with a generous severance, but with a one year of health benefits. But it did one more thing that I had never seen a company do before. With laying off almost 2,000 employees, you know, what's the first thing a company typically does when it lays somebody off? Give me your badge, give me your laptop. Mm-hmm. Well, Airbnb thought about it and said, why don't we need 2,000 laptops that are used? We're downsizing. So we also thought people are going to need a laptop in times like this, right? Their child might be using the only home computer if there is a home computer at all. They might need it for school. A spouse might need it for a job. How can our employees search for a new job if they don't have a way to connect to the internet? So we simply made the decision to let the employees keep their laptop as part of the severance. So sometimes you can do little things to let people know that you're thinking about the situation they're in and treat them with respect and empathy. That's great. I haven't heard of that approach before. I bet that that goes a long way for employees in that situation. Right. Um, With the Black Lives Matter movement, it's prompted many organizations to examine their own diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. How do you think ethics intersects with diversity, equity, and inclusion? Oh, I think it's tied to it deeply. You can't have uh, ethics for some. (laughs) And in the world today, right? I mean, in the world today, I, I mentioned earlier, look, we're used to running in our own lanes, thinking about ourselves. But in this world where lanes are narrowing dramatically, we are all now very closely tied to each other. You know, a disease that breaks out in one part of the world quickly spreads to the rest of the world. You know, what a factory puts into the air in terms of carbon is now impacting people on the other side of the world. If someone is not receiving the pay that they deserve because of their gender, or if they're not being given an opportunity for work because of the color of their skin, 
we now all feel that injustice. You know, the, the power of the smartphone and the video camera and the ability to post quickly means that, you know, when there's an act of injustice or racial injustice, it's now right there in front of us. It can't be denied anymore. And I think that that power means that now all of us are touched by injustices. You know, injustice to one of us, a problem in one area now touches all of us. It touches us in an emotional sense, and we want to see something done about it. That can't be ignored anymore. So companies need to address it. I, I think in the past, CEOs have been reluctant to uh, speak out on controversial issues. But the world's not letting them do that anymore. The world demands that they want to know where you stand. Because if your stance isn't in line with their values, they're going to move their money. They're going to leave the company. So you don't have that luxury anymore. You've got to figure out where you stand as a company. You've got to know what your values are, what your North Star is, what your purpose is as a company. And you've got to make sure that your public stance and your private actions are consistent with that. So as, as we close our conversation, would love to um, have you share some advice. Ethics seems to be a very challenging subject for companies to address internally. What advice do you have for HR leaders who want to kickstart this conversation inside their own organization? I think first thing is get over the discomfort. Get beyond simple compliance and ask yourself, what can I do as a leader to promote an authentic human conversation about integrity and send a message in a sincere way that it really matters. And I think this has to start at the very top of the company. So uh, I like to say that the leaders at a company, the executive team at a company, they're the thermostat, not the thermometer for integrity. The thermometer just records the temperature. The thermostat sets the temperature. Everyone watches the top leaders in the company. They listen carefully to the words that they use. They watch the actions of the leadership. You are setting the thermostat at your company. You can't uh, run from that thermostat and look at it and, and head the other direction. You got to take out your hand, reach out, and move the thermostat over toward high integrity. And that means acting with intentionality and with your voice to set that tone, set the temperature that the entire company is going to live in. I really like that distinction between the thermostat and the thermometer, and it's a, a great analogy for it. Rob, thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today, and we really look forward to having you at the Visionaries event in October. Sounds great. I'm looking forward to it, Lisa. Great. And for more information on the topics we've discussed today or for further details on HRPS, please visit hrps.org. 